Burning Books with Eric Beck-Rubin. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Burning Books podcast, where we discuss, celebrate, and explore great books, very good books, books in which there's something to appreciate or admire, as well as books that are the opposite of all those things. Today we embark together on another chapter of my long voyage entitled Trying to Give a Shit About the Writings of James Joyce and Failing. In this case, it's Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. It was published in 1916. Perhaps you've heard of it. My aim is to make sure, if it's not too late, you avoid reading it. I curse the moment in time I selected this book for reading. Ten years after I celebrated turning the last page of Dubliners, I had forgotten the pain, by which I mean the self-indulgence, of stories like Little Cloud and other Dubliners stories I've apparently blocked from recall. I despised reading that book for many reasons, but probably above all was its parochialism, its obsession with a narrow range of subjects, and for its counterintuitive, at least from this perspective, grandiosity of tone. Somebody once wrote that James Joyce paved the road of modernism using a Victorian tractor. And except for that part about modernism, that seems about right. If you could imagine a Terry Gilliam drawing that is not at all charming or interesting, but is merely redundant and ornate, well, you'd have James Joyce. A portrait of the artist as a precocious twit. How to describe it? It's the story of a James Joyce-like character, Stephen Dedalus and his various, not at all interesting, not at all original, trials in life. His family were once rich, but have descended into genteel poverty. He's sent to a posh school, but doesn't fit in with the boys. Except sometimes he does, like when they're playing sports or complaining about the masters. Religion is in this story. Priests exist. They do priestly things like speak in Latin and encourage young Stephen Dedalus, who is not at all pompously named and does not at all pompously throw off Latin sayings, to become a pompous priest like the rest of them. For a time, Stephen considers it. He is one with a vocation, but that vocation is leading him elsewhere to be a poet of his nation. To reverse for a moment, Daedalus, the ancient Greek after whom the protagonist is named, is a fascinating character. Daedalus is the inventor of the labyrinth. He was reputed to be able to make the inanimate move. He gave his nephew, Icarus, wings. He is credited with inventing choreography, after Cora, a space of chaos and creation where Daedalus practice his arts. Daedalus brings the world to life. No wonder Joyce wants to appropriate some of that shine. And in the opening lines of the novel, it seems like he does. Portrait of the Artist starts with Stephen's father telling the boy a bedtime story. The words famously go as follows. Once upon a time, and a very good time it was, there was a moo cow coming down along the road, and this moo cow that was coming down along the road met a nice little boy named Baby Tucku. Not bad, right? Enigmatic, rhythmically appealing in a way that is comparable to the opening of Lolita, and intriguing. Problem is, these are the best words in the book. From then on, it's downhill. The reasoning for this is simple. For every inspired passage, there follows a devolution into garbage. Take exhibits A and B. The wide playgrounds were swarming with boys. All were shouting, and the prefects urged them on with strong cries. 
The evening air was pale and chilly, and after every charge and thud of the footballers, the greasy leather orb flew like a heavy bird through the gray light. Nice, right? That's the potpourri, though, and we know what that covers. Roddy Kickham was not like that. He would be captain of the third line, all the fellows said. Roddy Kickham was a decent fellow, but Nasty Roche was a stink. Roddy Kickham had greaves in his number and a hamper in the refectory. Nasty Roche had big hands. He called the Friday pudding dog in the blanket. The problem is that one can just about muster the energy to decode what Joyce is trying to say. Dog in a blanket, pig in a blanket in this case. But one cannot muster the energy to care. And as the novel goes on, there's more dog in a blanket type passages than there are lovely if irrelevant descriptions of landscape. And this is how the novel goes on. Most of Portrait, which is cut into shortish sections describing Daedalus's passage from boy to young man, takes place at the school where Stephen is a student, taught by the priests. There is a competition among boys, there are friendships, aspirations, etc. But mostly what transpires is James Joyce playing with language much like a three-year-old plays with his little penis, compulsively but not productively. Being plagued by demons, being bad at sports, being underappreciated or unappreciated by his peers, the artist living in extremis, feeling the world more than those around him, it's hard to know whether Joyce had created the cliches that are said to govern the artist's development or merely parroted them. What is certain is that reading his novel in 2015 adds nothing to my non-appreciation of these tropes. Outside school in the church, there is a third whirlwind in Daedalus's life, sex. This is embodied in the character of Emma, with whom Stephen grows infatuated and for whom he learns to pleasure himself and not much else. The effect of the Holy Trinity, though, school, church, sex, is to combine into what Joyce presents as the gravest individual sin, and therefore the highest aspiration, which is to become an artist. This is how, at a certain point in the novel, Daedalus decides he will be that great poet who is, in effect, James Joyce. In doing so, Daedalus accepts his vocation is not to serve the church, but to defy it as a form of art. Does this mean that in the book, Daedalus comes to the point of actually creating the art? No, but we're given to understand he will, and it will be glorious. In the meantime, from embodying every single cliché of the young man's development into an artist, he embraces every single cliché of the young artist's self-conscious anticipation of himself as the artiste. The result? Let me put it to you this way. When people say they hate slacking, self-indulgent, hipster pseudo-artists, they're thinking of the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Stephen Dedalus. I wonder, though, if it's possible this is what artists are. If they need to pass through a loathsome period of self-righteousness that we call self-discovery. If they need, like the intolerable Holden Caulfield, to call everyone a phony and think that, by doing so, they open a new path. I once heard the beginning of an artistic career compared to the launch of a rocket, all fire and energy and madness expended on the effort of breaking through the Earth's gravitational pull. But if so, if this is correct, why do we as readers need to inhale all that exhaust produced by the rage of this launch? I know lots of writers who do angry, and Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man is above all an angry, angry book. But those other writers do anger more intelligently and eloquently. 
The one that immediately comes to mind is Voltaire and his novel Candide. Faced with what was, to his mind, the monumental and widespread idiocy that we live in the best of all possible worlds, Voltaire wrote his scathing novel, where the protagonist, Candide, is flayed and reflayed by the world only to utter the daft line that he could not possibly be happier than he actually was. That novel still stands on its own. It remains funny, nasty, and vivid because of its accurate, sharp-witted descriptions of the world's many venalities. By contrast, Joyce's latter-day bitching about the state of his religion, city, country, and, most odiously, nation, has none of Voltaire's insight. Accusing an individual or group of hypocrisy, as Joyce so often does, does not constitute critical thought. It constitutes laziness. And what one quickly realizes is that, despite all its tortured rhetoric, the portrait of the artist as a young man is one hell of a lazy book. Last year, or maybe it was a couple of years ago, I was in New York sitting at a bar on a Sunday afternoon and struck up a conversation with the older gentleman next to me. We talked books, of course, and he professed his great love for James Joyce. I asked him why he liked the Bard of Dublin so much, and rather than explaining, he went on to quote from memory the final paragraph of The Dead. By the time he got to the end, his eyes were filled with tears. It was a sunny afternoon. And with the last words, he climbed down from the bar stool and walked out to the street. Apparently, he was a regular and had a running tab, hence the quick escape. I mention the story for a reason. Even though it's obvious, I have no hesitation telling you what I really think of Joyce. And even though I confess I may still end up one day reading Ulysses, I also remember something said to me by my barber and Irishman, Brian, who works at the back corner of Crow's Nest in Kensington Market. Joyce, he told me, is to be savored aloud. And if, in hearing the various excerpts read, you do not understand the extent of my rage, at Joyce's rage, it's because Brian is right. Aloud, as if spoken from a stage, as if spoken from the back of a crowded bar, Joyce's work has a tolerable, even intriguing ring to it. This is the stuff they call prose poetry. But to me, Joyce's poems, if they are to be enjoyed, must be cut to sonnet length. Anything that runs longer, as it does in this novel, turns to treacle. The pace slows, the story goes nowhere, the spiral turns inward. And it's just words piled on words piled on words. Despite being a mere 217 pages in the handsome Penguin edition, these misery memoirs are some of the most prolix I've ever read. Thank you for listening. Next up on Burning Books will be a review of Vladimir Nabokov's novel The Lusion Defense, which is sometimes called The Defense, and features all of Nabokov's trademarks, chess, Russian emigres, sadness, irregular sex, though perhaps not in the proportions we might expect. Burning Books is part of the Latopia network of podcasts, and you can hear back episodes. Subscribe and reach me there via the email the show button, all by going to latopia.com, spelled the way it sounds, and following the link to Burning Books. I also enjoy getting your tweets, nasty and nice. I'm at Burning Books Pod. A special thanks to Natalie Matheson, reader of excerpts. Kick 'em or kick ham? Kick 'em. To Hakan Ozgan for the music. To Peter Cox, executive producer of the program. I already know the answer to this one. What do you call potato snacks? Crisps. And, as always, 
Go Jays. <laughs>